I'm actually believing that as, as Kel shared before that today, our lives are going to never be the same again. Our lives are going to change. Things are going to be restored. Um, chains are going to break. Because the reality is we live, we, we live in relationship and communion with a God who sent his son to die on the cross. And in his sacrifice, he destroyed the works of the devil. And we get to live in the reality of that. And so if you have your Bibles, um, if you want to turn to 1 John chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, I'm going to, we're continuing on with our series today called What is Real Life? I don't know about you guys, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this series so far. I mentioned a couple of weeks back that 1 John is one of my favorite, if not uh, my favorite book of the New Testament. And so for me, this has just been an absolute whirl of a few weeks just because I, I I love the word of God as a whole, but like there are some parts of the word of God that I, no matter how many times I come back to them, it just, it's life, more life, more life, something new, something new, something new. And so I, yeah, I'm just super duper excited just to be sharing this today. Uh, I just want to preface it a little bit. I really believe that today as I share, the word of God is alive the word of God is, it's something that pierces the heart if you let it. And this morning, just before I, I, I share what I feel like the Lord's given me to preach this week, I just want to encourage you. Um, actually, I want you all to just close your eyes for a second, wherever you're at. Everyone just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to just take a deep breath, really, really deep breath. Just take a couple more deep breaths with your eyes closed. Yeah, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you that your presence is right here with us. Father, that in each and every room where we are gathered this morning, that you are there. Lord, I pray that that hearts would be pierced with your word this morning. God, that lives would be transformed by your word this morning. Father, that our mind would be renewed by your word this morning. Father, that our ideas would be impacted and changed by your word this morning. Father, that our, our hearts would experience healing because of your word this morning. Father, it is you, it's your word, it's your life. Lord, it's the life that you give us, which we breathe in and out with every breath. Lord, we just come before you right now. And Father, we ask that you would move mightily in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our lives this morning. God, we don't want to settle for second best. Father, we want to settle with, uh, for your will in our lives. Lord, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go through a fair portion of scripture this morning, which I love. Kel saying yay in the background. Everyone should be saying yay when I say we should be going, we're going through a fair portion of scripture. We should always be going through a fair portion of scripture. However, this morning, I, and you've probably noticed by how much I'm talking about how the word of God is life, but I, it's just been unshakable for me in my preparation. Tan shared last week about abiding in God and how when we accept Christ from the moment we accepted Christ, we have his presence and his anointing inside of us and in our lives. 
And because of that, we are then able to love others around us. Because of that, we are able to trust that God is good because we know that he has anointed us. We know that his presence is inside of us. It's a call, it was a call for us to consider how we can continue to abide with the Father. The week before that, Sam talked about the difference between love and hate. He talked about how, how love and hate they can, they can be in our lives in so many different ways, even in ways that we're not aware of. You know, he shared this, he shared the story of him sitting in the driving in his car and, and how in that moment he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he drove slowly to annoy the other guy to teach him a lesson. And, and how in that moment, Sam realized that he did not have love towards his brother. The week before that, I, I shared about union and fellowship. I shared about, Union being something that is established by the blood and that no matter our action, no matter our sin, no matter how much we fall short, no matter how good we may do, our union is always established because Christ established our union by his blood. And I also talked about fellowship. I talked about how fellowship is conditional to our choice. Meaning that if we choose to to abide, if we choose to accept the reality that we have in Christ, that we actually have fellowship with him. I mentioned this statement saying that profession without practice is pointless. And it's so true because it's not about what we say. It, sorry, it isn't about what we say, but it isn't only about what we say. It's also about what we do. And so with, with those things in mind, we're going to look at, at this passage here. We're going to refer to a couple of other passages. And, and I truly, truly, truly believe that if you choose, because it's our choice, because we have free will, if you choose to accept the fullness of the reality that we have as children of God, that your life could be truly transformed this morning. We're going to pick it up here in verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now that we are children of God, it has not yet been revealed to us what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. And for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness as sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, 
just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love a brother. For this message that you have heard has come from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's quite a pointed passage, this passage that we've just read here in 1 John. It's definitely not your light magazine type reading. It's pointed. It's sharp. It's like a double-edged sword that, if you allow it to, can pierce the heart. I really believe, I was going to say, I really believe what's in this passage. I, I really do believe what's in this passage, but I really believe this morning that there is freedom in these words. I don't believe you can just read words like this and just move on to the next page. There is power, life-giving power in these words. I want to just pull this passage apart a little bit and look at some of the different contrasts that are displayed by the writer. Because there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of he's, and there's a lot of us, and there's a lot of him. And so I just want to point out, and I want to pull this apart so that we can better see this passage and better understand it. As, as it, Sometimes it's talking about us when it says he, and sometimes it's talking about Christ. And, and we always want to use Christ as an example. We always want to measure ourselves to the level, the bar that Jesus set when he walked on the earth. And so, like, let's, let's pull this passage apart a little bit. So if you look here in verse 29, the first sentence says, if you know that he is righteous, that he is talking about Christ. So we know, looking at Christ's life that is documented in the, in the Gospels of the New Testament, we know that Christ is righteous. We know because of the sacrifice that Christ made and the, the fact that he was the atonement for our sins, that he is righteousness. That our righteousness is, is from Christ. So it goes on to say that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. That's talking about us. That us as a, as a body, that us as individuals, that if we practice righteousness, that is a testament to us being born of God. That's the first clue. The second clue is in verse 3 of chapter 3. Everyone who has this hope in him, that's talking about us having our hope in Christ. It's referring to what it's just told us in verse 1 and verse 2 of this chapter where it's telling us, behold, that we are now called children of God. And so it's saying in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him, everyone who is to believe, everyone who is to put their faith in the fact that they are called children of God, purifies himself. That's us. So we who put our hope in him, purify ourselves, 
because he is pure. If we look at Christ's life, Christ lived a sinless life. Jesus did not commit sin. He was tempted. You know, in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are all similar documentations of Christ going into the wilderness for 40 days, fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, and then being tempted by the devil in three different scenarios. Christ was tempted, yet he did not fall to sin. So just as Christ was pure, we are called to be pure. Jump down to verse six. It says, whoever abides in him, it's talking about us, abiding in him does not sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Because in verse five, it says here, he was manifested to take away our sins because in him there is no sin. So that's talking about Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Jump down to verse seven. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he was righteous, or just as Christ is righteous. When I was growing up, I don't think I fully understood the term deceive. You know, when I, when I used to think of deception as a, a teenager or as a child, I used to think of deception as lying. That isn't actually the case. Lying is a form of deception. However, deception is, to put it plainly, deception is to be led astray. Deception is to be convinced of something that may not be exactly the truth. Deception is trying to lead you astray from what the truth really is. And sometimes a deception will be a lie, which is opposite of the truth. But sometimes it may be a twisting of the truth. You know, when I was a teenager, I grew up Christian, as everyone here knows. I've told my testimony a few times in a few different ways. I'm not going to tell it again. But I grew up Christian. But as I was a teenager, I began to be led astray from the truth of what it means to walk in Christ. I didn't know at the time that I was being deceived. I didn't know what deception meant. I thought deception was lying. And so, you know, when my friends would say like, hey, Nathan, like come to this party with us, you know, come to this party, like it'll be fine. Like it'll be all good. I wouldn't look at it through the lens of these people are trying to lead me astray. I just looked, looked at it thinking, well, like deception means a lie because that's what I used to think. And so I'd be like, well, they're not lying to me. Like it, it looks like it's going to be fun. So I would go and I would find myself in situations where I wasn't practicing the righteousness of Christ where I wasn't believing or living in his truth and I would sin. I think it's so, 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 so important that we, as John writes here, little children, let no one deceive you. How do we let no one deceive us? How do we know that we're not being deceived? Because people can lead us astray. There are things that can influence us. You know, there, there are so many things that can lead us away from what God wants for us. How do we not do it? How do we not be led astray? It's by abiding in him. Because it says in verse six, whoever whoever abides in him does not sin, will not be led astray. It goes on to say in verse eight, he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But may I say, this is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. 
He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I don't know about you guys, but when I read that verse, when I think and I dwell on what those words mean, the, the power and the potential of those words, of that, those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve words. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. One of the, the, the misconceptions, I think one of the, actually, let's call it a deception. I believe that one of the deceptions that we as Christians can experience from time to time in our lives, I know I've experienced this myself, is that we, we fall back into trying rather than falling back into trusting. I want you to think about that for a second. We fall back into trying rather than falling back into trusting. I want to elaborate on that for a second because I believe it's an absolute key for us. Everything we've read in this passage of scripture, what's written in Romans, in Romans chapter six, I read it a few weeks ago at Easter. And for those of you who don't know, Romans chapter six is one of the greatest passages of scripture, hands down. It is about us and how we have been freed from sin because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross and how we have access to eternal life because of this sacrifice. Everything we read in the Bible leads us to believe that Christ is the justification, is the purification. He is the propitiation for our sins. Yet we fall back into trying, not trusting. You see, Trying, what I mean by this statement is that falling back into trying looks like us working harder to free us from our sins. Looks like us working harder to fix ourselves so that we can become a better Christian. It looks like us working harder to change the way we think. It looks like us working harder to become more like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that it that it doesn't cost us something and that there isn't surrender involved and that there isn't us actually doing things and there isn't action. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that before we try, we have to trust. And as Tan mentioned last week, it's really hard to trust unless we're abiding. It's super duper hard to trust unless we're abiding. I I would say that it it is near impossible. Think about this in terms of relationship with our friends. Let's say like we meet someone for the first time and you meet them and their name's Bob. You're not going to be telling Bob about all the problems in your life. You wouldn't tell Bob your bank account details because you don't know Bob. You don't trust Bob. There's nothing that you know about Bob that leads you to believe that he's trustworthy. But let's say that you spend a year with Bob and you see him twice a week you know, and, and he's a really good bloke. You journey together and you learn about him and you learn about each other and you, you build equity because you're abiding with Bob. Maybe in a year's time, you feel comfortable giving Bob your bank account details for doing a transfer or something like that. But you wouldn't do it the moment you first met him. You see, it, it's so hard to trust when you don't have that equity. And equity only comes from 
close intimacy, abiding. Abiding. We've got to fall back into trusting, not trying. And you can only fall back into trusting through abiding. You see, because I believe without a shadow of a doubt what these words say. I believe that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. I believe that Christ's victory on the cross was more than enough. I believe that we have, and and I'm not just making statement, guys. I'm saying this from the word. I believe that we have an ability to live our lives righteous before him. That we have an ability and an opportunity to live our lives free from sin. Free. Not moderating. Free. It doesn't say in this word that Christ came to moderate the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. I asked Sam this morning if he could find a what would Jesus do bracelet. Super random. Follow me on this rabbit trail. Unfortunately, Sam couldn't find any of his what would Jesus do bracelets. I used to have one, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Who, who here has owned a what would Jesus do bracelet before? Most of my hands are going up. Who here doesn't know what a what would Jesus do bracelet is? Oh, there's a few people. Basically what it is, I'll explain it because you're not going to understand if you don't know what it is. Basically, it's a bracelet that you put on your arm. Some people put it on their ankle, like, you know, make it an anklet instead of a bracelet. It would have four letters on it, WWJD. And basically it, it came from this initiative to have a reminder on your, on your wrist or on your ankle that no matter what situation you're in and no matter what action you're about to make, you would ask the question first, what would Jesus do? It was like really, when I was in like grade six back in school, it was like the fad. If you didn't have a Jesus, what would Jesus do bracelet? Like you, you probably weren't a Christian. That's how big a thing it was back in my day. Well, not back in my day because my day wasn't that long ago. But back when I was in school, it was, it was like the thing. You had to have a what would Jesus do bracelet. So it, it was a thing. And it still is. You know, you still see people with a what would Jesus do bracelet on. I'm not going to have a go at anyone by saying this or myself. But I think we've made a bit of a mockery. It's become so much of a fad that it's, it's gone away from the, the actual beautiful thought and intention behind it. Because I, I do believe that we as Christians should be asking the question all the time. I mentioned before that Jesus is our standard. Jesus is our bar. We, 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 we match his bar. Our goal is to become more like Christ. We have to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And, and that's a question that I believe is the, the landing point for us falling back into trusting, not trying. Because the question, what would Jesus do, leads us, to relationship with him. It leads us to opening his word. It leads us to his presence. It leads us to prayer. It leads us to intimacy. It leads us to abiding. It leads us to trusting. When you ask the question, what would Jesus do? I believe and I know, and I want to encourage us today that we need to be people that ask the question, what would Jesus do? That if we're going to be people that live as children of God, like it says here we are in in chapter three, in the first two verses. If we're going to be people that live as children of God, we have to be people that live 
and embody the fullness of what is required of us, the fullness of what is available to us. And that means practicing righteousness. That means practicing abiding and intimacy with the Father. That means us practicing the, to let no one deceive us, to be, that we would be so focused on the truth, that the truth would be so large in our lives that deception would just be deflected. Because we're children of God. We're made pure in his sight. We have righteousness available to us because of him. Not by our works, not by our might, but by his spirit. I want to pray for us this morning. Um, and we're going, to just, we're going to just spend a bit of time with us and the Lord, just coming back to that position of falling into trusting, not falling into trying. Falling into his grace, falling into his righteousness, falling into his purification. You know, and there may be some of us, you know, maybe there's something in your heart that you're like, oh, like no matter what it is, maybe it's just like, oh, I, I know that I need to repent from that before the Lord. I know that Jesus wouldn't have done that. You know, maybe it was a white lie. Maybe it was, I, I don't know what it was, but, but maybe, maybe you, you're like, oh, I need to just get this right before God. The beauty of repentance is that when you repent, you're admitting and you're turning away and going in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. And so I, I want you to believe that if, if the Lord reminds you of something, the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, that during this time that if, if you do repent, and this is where you fall back into trusting, not trying, you only need to repent once. Because the reality is Christ paid for it. And the moment that you choose to repent is the moment that you trust and you know that you're going in a different direction. The mo- that, that moment is when your sins are forgiven, whatever it may be.